We got sound this week. Yeah. How y'all doing well? I mean, you got I mean, you got to be good after that. So listen, we're glad you're here. We are in week four of stories. I'm going to start us off with the same thing I've been saying each of the previous three weeks is this. Everyone has a story. What's yours? Everyone has a story. What's yours? What defines you? What marking moments in your life have made you who you are? And the bigger question, who is actually authoring your story? What are the things that make you who you are. And so over the last three weeks, we've been learning some elements of this and seeing stories in the Bible. We started off, I shared a little bit of my story, and we see that really everyone's story, everyone's life is defined by one of two things. It's either defined by your pain, your shame, and your guilt, or it's defined by God's love and joy and peace. Which one are you choosing? And then after that, we learned from Solomon, and I read four chapters of the Bible, and y'all freaked out, but it was good. We got through it. We lived and in that, we learn the wisdom from Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, and the, the importance of finding community in your life. It matters the people that you surround yourself with. And then last week, we learned from Jonah. We learned the truth of God's grace, that it doesn't matter how far or how fast you've run from him, God's running that much farther and faster after you. And he always provides a way back. And so the theme of that is going to continue tonight. But before we jump in, I want to have a little fun. Um, this is not a spectator sport. You should come in here as a participant, expectant, ready to be involved, be engaged. And so we're going to have some fun with this. To start, I'm going to ask you a question, and I just need a few responses. This is not monologue. We're going to have some dialogue, okay? So here's my question. What, and this, listen, just hang on. This could be a little embarrassing for some of you. It's okay. This is a safe place. It's totally fine. Um, now, I do want to know, though, what is one thing that you own that is invaluable to you that everyone else would be like, that's freaking ridiculous, Really? What's one thing that you own? What's something, an example of something you own that is invaluable to you that everyone else might be like, that's not, that's worth nothing. Sorry, boo-boo. Somebody give examples. It could be, it could be a, it could be a hair bow. It could be a blanket. It could be a book. It could be shoes. These shoes are cool, but they're not invaluable. Something invaluable. I want to get some responses. Can I, way in the back, you want to give me one? Your point shoes. All right, so like, like, Point shoes, that, that hurt. I have a broke toe, like that was a bad idea. Okay, so your point shoes. I have a question, a follow-up question. Are your feet like black and pretty nasty? Like people hate giving you pedicures because you do point so much? Okay, that's cool. Okay, so point shoes. I, I don't envy that at all. I also have skis for feet. It wouldn't look good. Uh, someone else, anyone, what's something invaluable to you that everyone would think like, hmm, that's a little ridiculous? Someone, can we, in the, yes, you got one? You have, wait, we got claps. This, other people think that's invaluable. You, what is it? A what blanket? A TARDIS blanket? Am I saying that right? A TARDIS? All right, I'm old. Thank you. I have no idea what that is. That's great. I appreciate it when y'all age me. I turn 30 in two weeks. I don't need more reminders, okay? So TARDIS blanket, it's something special for you. Anyone else in here? We're all in college. It's a safe place. How many of you still have a blanket? Oh, yep. Guys, if you just raise your hand, that means you got about mm, however many years to figure that out before you get married, okay? Uh, second, how many of you still have like a teddy bear? Oh, there's some pride in that answer. Like, me? He's with me right now. Like, okay, that's good. That's good. No one else wants that teddy bear but you, see? Now, I was reminded of this, this kind of idea of things that are invaluable to you recently. Did you just give him a hug because he has a teddy bear and you're, like, consoling him? Is that what happened? That's good, man. That's sweet. That's a good friend. Solomon would be proud of you. Um, I was reminded of this idea of things that are invaluable to you that just kind of seem unreasonable to everybody else recently with my daughter. Uh, my daughter, Charlotte, she's not quite yet two years old. This is my daughter, Charlotte, in case you've never seen her. That is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, guys went, aw, too, because that one hit your heart. You're welcome. She is, uh, she's the greatest She's a little diva, as you can tell. Uh, she will go into my wife's, into our closet, and look up and say, like, bracelet and necklace and this, and we have to give it to her, or she screams. Like, she's already 17. It's great. This is my daughter, Charlotte. And recently, Charlotte, see, one of the things about Charlotte that is, is unique, um, I guess, to her, but not really unique to many, and maybe even not to you, she has something that's highly invaluable to her, and it's this bunny, these bunny blankets. Here's a picture of them if you want to see. This is her today. She had just woken up from a nap, and the bunnies are draped over her shoulders. Like, they go everywhere with her. 
This is her comfort. And listen, they're like this big. They're not going to keep her warm at all, ever. But every single night when, when she goes to bed, there are two things she has to have. She has to have her passies, plural, because we give her one, and she's like, I need more because she needs to hold them. I don't know why, but listen, she's, she's a hoarder in, um, growing up. But the other thing she needs is not just the passies. She needs bunnies. And so she'll say, more passies, and then we give them to her. And she's like, bunnies. And we're like, they're on you already. Oh, okay, because they go everywhere with her. She can't sleep without these bunnies, and they're so invaluable to her. We knew they were so invaluable that we don't, she doesn't just have one bunny. She has two because heaven forbid for my sake that she ever didn't have that bunny. It would be a nightmare, okay? Now, the other side of the story is I also have a son. Uh, my son Bowen is three and a half, and he is wild and adventurous and into everything. He's so into everything that he gets into things that no one ever should get into, let me explain a little bit, okay? So a few months ago, we started potty training Bowen. Just run that. You know where I'm going, okay? We start potty training Bowen. He picked up on it pretty quick. He's, he is super, super smart. Uh, but again, he's really adventurous. So every time that Bowen would go potty, he would tell us, I got to go potty, and would like dance and then take his pants off and run to the bathroom and go potty. And so he'd go, and then he'd yell, Dad, I'm done. And I'm like, sweet, this is awesome. But it's better than diapers, so I'll come and I'll help. And he always wanted to get cleaned, right? That's what he needed help with because he's three. So one day, Bowen says, I, I got to go potty. And then he runs to go potty. And then we don't hear him. And we're like, hey, like it's been a good minute, and three-year-olds don't get constipated. And he doesn't have a phone to play Candy Crush on. I don't know, what's, I don't know what he's doing. And all of a sudden, we hear footsteps. It starts off as like a little pitter-patter, and then all of a sudden he sprints around the corner and comes in, and he's like, ha-ha-ha, and he has this mischievous, like, face. And we're like, what does he do? Oh, no. Because we see on his hands that there's something on him, maybe. And he doesn't have, like, birthmarks on his hands. Like, there's something on his hands. So we go into his bathroom, and it's like like impending doom. Like we're walking in like, it better not be everywhere. Like it just, I need it to not be on at least one wall or position. I just can't. And we walk in, and there's just this streaks of poop. <laughs> if you weren't with me yet, there it is, on the wall. And what happened is Bowen tried to clean himself because uh, he's three, and he's adventurous, and he's smart, and he tried to do it himself, and, and he just didn't clean himself, um, just kind of missed on that one, and he was super proud, like, look, and we were like, oh, oh, son, um, no, it's cool, we got like 29 years until you're going to date, so it's totally fine, we'll get it eventually, um, but in this moment, we're standing in his bathroom, and they have like a Jack and Jill. I don't know if you know what Jack and Jill is. I just, again, dated myself. I'm a homeowner. But there's a bathroom that's uh, connected to Charlotte's bedroom and to Bowen's bedroom. And so we're sitting in the bathroom, and we're dealing with this. And then we look over into Charlotte's bedroom, and we see her bunny. And wait, Oh, you don't even know. Just wait. So we see Charlotte's bunny. And then we notice, oh, no. In the wake of Bowen's destruction, Bunny got in the way. And so there's some spots on the bunny that, mm, I don't know, aren't really actually supposed to be there. Uh, it's a pink bunny. There's some non-pink things on the bunny. The problem is, as we notice the destroyed bunny on the ground, about 10 seconds before that, my daughter noticed Bunny. You still don't know. So wherever they're looking at Bunny and Charlotte, we, we see, you ever have those moments like in a movie of the slow motion? Like, she's walking to Bunny, and me and Larson are just like, like, oh, dear Lord, please don't let this happen. So Charlotte goes over and picks up Bunny. We're like, no, 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 no. But she doesn't care. It's Bunny. So she picks up the little Bunny blanket and just like does this. And it's like, she could do this every day of her life, and I'm going to be like, that's the sweetest thing ever. But today I was like, dear God, no, please stop. And she's just snuggling that bunny. Mm. Now, here's the deal. Charlotte doesn't care what's on that bunny. She's just going to love that bunny to death. It's her bunny. It's hers. And so to her, that bunny's invaluable. It doesn't matter what kind of condition it is in. It doesn't matter how it may smell or what her brother may have done to it. She's going to love on bunny. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit in his kindness 
just spoke kind of this lesson to me of, Matt, that's the exact same way that I look at you. You are just as invaluable to me as that bunny is to Charlotte. And it doesn't matter the position that you are in, the condition that you are in, how dirty you may feel, how disgusting it actually may be in your life. You are invaluable to me, just like that bunny is to Charlotte. And see, as I start to learn this, and this unreasonable affection and love that God has for us, it's not just me, it's you too. I start to dive in and figure out, well, what stories of examples can I find of this love beyond reason? And we see an example of it in the book of Hosea. And so what I want us to do is I want, I want you to walk through with me this story tonight. And we're not going to just read four chapters. I'll probably never do that again. Um, but we're not going to read four chapters. What I want you to do is kind of try to immerse yourself into this story. So we're going to open up to Hosea. We're all going to follow this Bible tonight. I don't have mine. Um, it's okay. I have this one, and it's in my heart. Uh, so this Bible is underneath your chairs or under the chair in front of you. It's also going to be on the screen. Uh, we're going to open up for all you cheaters to page uh, 898. Uh, page 898, Hosea chapter 1. And again, as we talk about the story of Hosea, what we're going to see is God's unrelenting, redeeming love um, for his people and for us and for me. So let's start, let's start off Hosea chapter 1 starting in verse 2. Starting in verse 2 it says this. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, pause. You like I did that? You were so ready to dive in. Hang on, time out. Zach Morris, say by the bell. When it says this, what this means is Hosea is a prophet. So just like Jonah the week before, Hosea is a man of God. God is speaking to, jo- or to Hosea so that Hosea can go and speak to the people. This is the role of the prophet. He's a man of God, someone of high esteem, a godly man, a good man. And so he says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, Hosea, go and marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so he married Gomer, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now let's, let's also go back to this. When it says a promiscuous woman, this doesn't mean like she's a really good flirt. Like this doesn't mean like every guy's like, oh, hey, I see her around. You're like, mm, okay. And it doesn't mean that she like kisses boys every once in a while. You know, it doesn't mean that she just randomly holds hands. Like the actual literal meaning of this is that she's a prostitute. So Gomer is a prostitute. The other versions that you could find would say that she's a whore. Now, I say that word, and it might be like, ooh, that's intense. No, that's real life. And so God is saying to Hosea, to his man, I want you to go marry a prostitute. I want you to go find her. I want you to go seek her out. I want you to go to the places of this community that a man like you shouldn't be seen. And I want you to go find someone. Her name's going to be Gomer. And everyone's going to know who she is. And he's gonna, and everyone's going to see her with you. And they're going to draw their connotations. And they're going to have their perceptions. Because they're going to know who she is and what she does. And Hosea, I want you to go love her. I want you to go marry her. And I want you to have children with her. And this story is one that is prophetic, right? He's a prophet. It's one that's an allegory of the relationship of God with Israel. Because like it says in there, she will be an adulterous wife. This, that, just like this land, that this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So Hosea goes and he marries Gomer, a prostitute, a whore, a girl who sells herself sells herself in the sex slave industry for monetary gain. A girl with a lot of baggage, a girl with a lot of wounds, a girl that society would say she's the dirtiest of the dirty. She's filthy. This is the woman that God sends Hosea to go find. And so Gomer is someone that to this point in her life, in terms of her identity or how she would find value, her value from the world would be that the only place and only way she finds value is whenever she, whatever acts she can do with herself. Or however someone else may perceive or look at her. This is the value of her. And so the world would be telling her, listen, Gomer, you're really, really attractive and that's it. 
And really, you're not even attractive. We just want to use you. You're about as worthless as it comes. And then Hosea shows up. And Hosea pulls her out of the life of being a prostitute, pulls her out of the whoredom, and says, you, this is no longer you. You don't have to live that life. You're going to come and be my wife. And so, now, like, pretty woman, I got nothing on this. So then Gomer becomes the wife of a prophet, of a man of God, someone of high esteem in the community. Gomer now isn't just a wife in his love, but now she has children. She has three children. Now, I'm about to have my third kid. And listen, when you have that many kids, you got to have some kind of a tight bond because it takes time to have three kids. So it's not just that they're married. It's that they've been married for a while. And so Hosea and Gomer are developing a family. They have a, a, a loving marriage and relationship. There's a friendship there. They're building a legacy. They're raising children. And then something terrible happens. And all of a sudden, this dream, this, this movie made in heaven of, of someone at the lowest of low coming to this experience of the highest of high, this, this dream we see in Hosea chapter 3 becomes a nightmare. So I want you to flip forward to chapter 3. And let's pick up and see what in the world happens. Hosea chapter 3, it's on page 900. Starting in verse 1, it says this, The Lord said to me, to Hosea, Go, Hosea, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Stop. Hosea, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go love Gomer. You've already bought her. You've already paid for it. You've already brought her out of it. But listen, I want you to go love her again because she's committing adultery on you. Hosea, I want you to go find Gomer and bring her back and love her again because she stepped back into being a prostitute. You weren't good enough. That's what you're probably thinking. This life wasn't enough. And so why in the world would someone who gets life run straight back to death? It doesn't make sense. But this is what Gomer did. And so God is beckoning Hosea. You go and find her, Hosea. You go and find her and you love her again. I don't care if she's in that industry. And so what I want to do is set the scene. And I want you to picture this with me. Because it's not just that all of a sudden Gomer showed up. And like out of nowhere, hey, I'm back. Let's make this thing work. Let's go to counseling and it's going to be all good. It's not what happened. Because Hosea had to go and find her. He had to seek her out. And so Hosea has to go to the dark streets and alleyways that a man of God doesn't go to. He has to go to the middle of the sex slave industry to find this girl that's not just any girl, someone who's become a prostitute that's actually his wife, that he's built a family with, his children with. And you can imagine Hosea walking there, going to the place where everyone in the community knows that's the red light district. That's where you don't go. That's just dirty and filthy. Nothing but darkness there. And he turns the corner, and then he sees everything happening. He sees the people. He sees, he sees the women. He sees the men clamoring for them. He sees just the destruction around him. And as a man of God, he's probably a little bit appalled and thinking, I don't want to go anywhere near that. That's not life. That's death. Then as he continues to walk forward, it's not any longer just an area. Now he sees the specifics. He sees the faces. And then he sees the platform. He sees the platform where all the women are. Some of them dressed with half to nothing on, strutting around, waiting for whatever guy is going to call them and, and have them. Seeing some of the women up there that are hurt, chained. They've been beaten, but you wouldn't know it because they've been so disguised with makeup. And he keeps walking forward, and he's scanning everyone. And there's guys around him, just filth everywhere. And he's looking, and then all of a sudden, he stops. And there she is. And it's not just that he sees Gomer, it's that he sees his wife. It's that he sees the one that he loves. He sees the one that he had to go and rescue out of this, back into the thing that he had to rescue her from. And I imagine in that moment, Gomer probably didn't see Hosea, but Hosea saw her, and his heart probably sank. Can you imagine 
the thing that you love the most, the person that you love the most, betraying you to the point where they're going and having sex with other people for money and degrading themselves back into this sex slave industry. They ran away from you. What does that say about you, Hosea? What does that say about the life you offer? And then he sees her. And in in that moment, I don't know what he was filled with. Probably a little bit of anger. Probably a little frustration. But I think the overwhelming thing that Hosea would have felt in that moment when he saw Gomer was a broken heart filled with love. And so he goes, and she's there, and he makes his way over. And he says, hey, to whatever guy, awful person, pimp, whatever he is, he says to him, hey, that's my wife. That's my wife. She's mine. She's going with me. And he's like, that's, that's awesome. Um, you can go buy her. You can pay for her. And Isaiah probably said, I've already paid for her. She's my wife. I don't need to pay for her again. He's like, well, um, she's not your wife right now. She's a prostitute. So you can go pay for her. And then you can do whatever with her that you want. So Isaiah says, how much? How much? Okay, I'll pay. How much? And so in verse 2, you're going to read, it will be on the screen, that he actually had to pay this. It says, so I bought her. Hosea bought Gomer back for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. Now, what you don't know is that the amount of that monetarily is about half the value of the lowest possible servant that you could go hire. And so it's not just that Gomer's back to being a prostitute. It's that the world has told her that you are so degraded and so devalued, you're worthless. And so he pays the price, and he goes up, and he sees her, and he goes to get her. And I imagine that moment, there's probably a little bit of resistance that Gomer had. No, like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've run away from him. Done everything I can. I, like, I'm, I've, I'm not, that's not me anymore. And she probably thought of her kids. She probably had the memories of him getting her out of here. I, Jose, I don't know what you're doing here, but I'm like, you can't do this. Listen, I'm too far gone. I, I'm too ashamed. I can't, I don't know why you're here. You can't buy me. And then verse 3 happens. Because in that moment, Hosea goes up to her, and I imagine that he grabs her, and he caresses her, and he holds her. And then she starts to realize that this is a love that he's showing me, not a, not a punishment. He's not going to punish me or hurt me. He's going to love and caress me and care for me. And he says to her in the most kind and tender words, verse 3 of chapter 3, Then I told her, you are to live with me many days, my wife. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man other than me. And I will behave the same way to you. Gomer did nothing to deserve this man's grace, this man's mercy, this man's forgiveness. And yet, Hosea did everything he could to go and get her back. That's a love story if I've ever heard of it. You want to know why he did? Because Gomer's invaluable to him. It doesn't matter what the world says. She's invaluable to him, and so he would have given everything to get her back. His love for her was beyond reason. She was invaluable to him. And so the truth is, this interaction happening inside the darkest, filthiest places of where they're living, he's saying, listen, I am yours and you are mine, and I've come to get you again out of this darkness and give you life. It's a story of absolutely love beyond reason. But the thing that we kind of miss in verse 3 is where Hosea continues. He says, you're to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any other man but me, and I will, uh, I will behave the same way towards you. And back in verse 1, God is telling Hosea, go and love her, Hosea, just like the love of the Lord. Just as the Lord has loved Israel and continues to pursue Israel, even though she turns his back on him, go and love Gomer in the exact same way because your love for Gomer is the picture of my love for these people. I would give anything to have them back. It doesn't matter how far they've run, how fast they run. I will always run that much farther and that much faster after them. I will pursue them because I love them. And I'll pay any price. I'll pay any price to purchase you back. And see, this is the thing that we have to grasp is that Hosea actually would have had Gomer and then Gomer ran away. And in Psalm 24, you can look at it on the screen, Psalm 24 tells us, 
that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So this world and you are already God's. He already made you and created you, and so you're his. And yet we all run from him just like Israel. We all run from him just like Gomer. And he does everything he can to get us back because he loves us. Because he looks at you and he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your dirt. He doesn't see your filth. His heart and desire for you is to not see those things. It's to see his overwhelming love for you that is manifested in the person of Jesus. So when God looks at you, what does he see? Does he see the filthy prostitute? Or does he see the redeemed person found in the love of Jesus? Because it's one of those two things. And when you have Jesus and you've been redeemed, nothing can take it from you. Nothing. So this is the the reality of the story of Hosea and Gomer. Just like Israel had run to other gods and Gomer had run to other men, sometimes we run to other things other than God. But his love never faded for them and it never fades for us. And so God bought us back. But he didn't pay with silver and barley. He paid with his son. He paid with Jesus. Because God looked at us in our depravity, in our death, in our sin, in our worst, and he said, how much? How much do I have to pay to get them back? I already own them, but I'll give whatever it takes because I love them. And so if you come in here tonight and you've got it twisted where you think, you know what? I am such a Hosea. I am just loving that girl as best as I can, but she just keeps running away. I don't get it. I don't understand. Like, I'm here. Well, no, you're a stage five cleaner, but it's not. It's neither here nor there. See, the proper context we need to have about the situation and about this story is, if we can just be really candid, none of us are Hosea. We're not the hero. We're Gomer. We're the prostitute that runs away. We're not the hero God is. And if you came in here tonight thinking that you were the hero and you were doing some great miraculous work of bringing someone back to life and showing them love, guess what? You're not the hero. God is. we got to have the proper context of our heart because when that happens and we realize we're Gomer, then we're going to fall into one of two places. Really, one of three. We could be Gomer in three different seasons. Some of you tonight come in here and you're Gomer before Hosea ever found her. You come in here tonight lost lost in your sin, lost in your pursuits of anything other than God, acting just like a prostitute, whether that be sexually or anything else. But for some of you tonight, that's you. You've never been found. You're lost, and you need to be found, but you never have been. For some of you, you're in this place, and it's wonderful because, yes, you're Gomer, but you're Gomer making babies and having a life with a really, really awesome guy living out inside the love of the Lord. Yeah, you've been redeemed, you've been restored to this redeeming love that God would have. And you're living inside that. And it's the best place you could be, it's the best possible life you could live. But then there's some of you who are Gomer after Hosea. Where you have been saved, you've experienced the love of the Lord. Jesus has said you're mine and yet you said that's not good enough. And you slap him in the face and you run right back to the death that he saved you from. It's almost like when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He said, come on, Lazarus, come on out in the New Testament. And Lazarus walks out, and he, and he sheds his, his burial clothes that he was buried in for days. And he looks around, and he realizes, Jesus just gave me life. Like, I, <laughs> I'm alive again. Actually, I think I'm going to go put on my death rags and go back in the tomb. I'd rather just be dead. It's silly when you think about it, but that's how we act sometimes. And that's how a lot of you are living right now. You're not following God, you're not finding yourself in the love of the Lord, and you're pursuing the things that were killing you before. See, we all find ourselves in one of those three positions. And as we correctly identify ourselves, what we're going to see is that there's this offer of God to us that we see continuing in Hosea. And so in Hosea chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, to continue on, we read this. It says, For the Israelites will live many days without king or prince without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the Israelites, after that time, after that season, afterward, the Israelites will return, will return and seek the Lord, their God, and David, their king. They will come trembling, or in other words, they will come in awe to the Lord and to his blessings or to his kindness in those last days. 
And while this is specifically and literally speaking of the nation of Israel coming back to God, this is also prophetically speaking of me and you coming back to God. Because God offers us in his kindness, in his love, a redeeming love that when you are most invaluable, he says, or when you are most, when you are the most worthless, he says you're invaluable. But what are you doing with that offer? Are you running away like Gomer? Or are you running right back to him in his grace? See, the thing in the story that we see is that Gomer didn't go and say, okay, thanks, Hosea, for coming and get me. Let me go. Let me just go tie up some loose ends. Let me, I got to turn in this. I got like, let me give him my chains. Hang on. Let me go and clean up for a minute. Give me like a week, and then I'll come to you, and then we'll try to work it out. I, maybe I should go to rehab first and then go figure this. No. It was instantaneous. You're mine. You don't need to go and get clean, Gomer. You come to me and I'll help you get clean. You don't need to go and get clean before you come to Jesus. You go to him and his redeeming love will make you clean. This is the truth where every single one of us are living. This is what we're all facing. And I don't know how you came in here tonight, but I, knew, I do know this. Gomer experienced an overwhelming redeeming love from God, and she couldn't get away from it because God kept chasing her. And the same thing happened to me. I couldn't escape this overwhelming redeeming love of God because he kept pursuing me. And then I realized, sweet mercy, it's a better life when I follow Jesus, when I give my life to him. That's the life I want. And it's not just Gomer, and it's not just me. It's many of you. And there's one of you in particular that I want to share the story of because it speaks very much to the heart of this. I think many of you will, will relate to this. And through this story, you're going to see the redeeming love of God at work in one of you. So like the past few weeks, let's listen in to one of your peers share their story. Hi, my name is Tiffany Stout. Growing up, my entire life, we went to church. When I was 18 years old, I was dating somebody at the time. We had been dating for about three years. Our relationship for the last six months of it was awful. It was rocky. It was um, unhealthy. We were living in sin. Finally, we just, it, it couldn't happen anymore, and we broke up. And about a month later, I ended up moving out of my parents' house um, into my own apartment. I was going to a new school, and so now I found myself single and living on my own with no rules. And this is kind of when everything started spiraling out of control for me. I was trying to find a comfort in myself that I knew deep down only God could fill, but at the time, I was trying to fill it with earthly things. I started drinking, I started smoking, I started sleeping around. It got to the point where if I couldn't find that comfort in one person, I would look in another guy, and if I couldn't find it in him, I would look in someone else, and um, it wasn't even a bad thing for me anymore. It was just routine. I remember this one day very clearly. I was in my apartment, I was in my bathroom, and I get a call from someone I had dated previously. And he said, you know, someone that I had slept with a while ago just recently contacted me and told me that they had contracted a disease. So I'm thinking, why are you calling me and telling me this? We haven't talked in months. Um, and he said, I just recently went to the doctor and um, got tested and I was positive. And so Tiffany, I think that you need to go get tested as well. And so going through my mind is like, this is not me. This is not the person that I am. This is not who I know I'm supposed to be. And I felt disgusting and I felt broken. I ended up going to the doctor and after a series of doctors and after the last one and she said, you know, you're finally healthy. I said, yeah, maybe my physical body is healthy, but my mental state was broken and my heart was absolutely broken. I remember whenever I would come home and I would go to church, I would feel like I didn't belong there. Um, I would feel like if everybody around me knew what I had done and knew like the person that I actually was, they wouldn't want to sit here with me and I didn't deserve to be there. I was trying so hard to run away from God and hide from God and there I was sitting in church. Um, that felt very uncomfortable and I just wanted to get up and I just wanted to run away. Um, 
and I was still trying to find that comfort and so um, soon after that happened I started dating somebody else and once again our relationship was very unhealthy it was very sinful um, but I was like this is finally going to be the person that I find my comfort in I know it Um, he was in the Air Force and he lived out in Colorado so I quit school and I moved home to save money and I had everything prepared and ready to move out to Colorado and all of a sudden he just decided he didn't want to be part of the relationship anymore he didn't want to be with me and that decision was very random it was very uncomfortable for me because we had all these plans and now I found myself single again and with no job and not in school and I was miserable and my heart was so broken and I was so broken I remember clearly like I had hit rock bottom I mean I could feel myself hit rock bottom and um, I was in my room and it was raining outside and I remember I just I couldn't take it anymore I was tired of being miserable I was tired of that this burden that I carried around all of this sin and this brokenness and tired of feeling like I wasn't worth anything or deserved anything and so I physically put my hands up and I was just like I give it all to you and I surrender and in that moment I felt an overwhelming sense of peace but at the same time I felt like how can I be used how can I possibly go on from this how can I possibly be anything that God wants me to be after what I've done And so I remember praying, you know, how can you use me? What can I do for you in your kingdom? What can I do for you? And he told me to go on a mission trip. And I thought that is absolutely crazy because that is so outside of my comfort zone. And there's no way that I'm going to do that. But I signed up and I had no intentions of actually going. I wasn't fundraising or anything. I thought maybe God sees me being obedient, signing up, you know, that's all he'll need. All of a sudden something changed in me and someone gave to my, my, my trip. And so it just, it felt like God was really telling me like, I need you to take this step and I need you to go. On that trip in those eight days, God changed my heart. The person who was hosting us, her father was a pastor in like communist times and she wasn't able to read Bibles and they had to hide Bibles. And the whole time all I could feel was like, I have I can have all of that. I can worship God freely and I can do all that. And I wasn't using those things that I could do. In that moment, God spoke to me and he was just kind of like, you know, I have never stopped loving you and I never will stop loving you. And I want you to run to me instead of away from me. And he never stopped pursuing me. And that was such a crazy, amazing feeling. And I just wanted to feel that love and that peace for the rest of my life. And so in that moment, I was like, that's it. Like, this is like what my life is gonna be. I came back with a completely different mindset and all of that pain that I felt, all of that shame that I felt, it was gone and it was covered with God's redemption. And my story now is a celebration of life and of what God can do in your life instead of this pain and this shame and this brokenness. And my story my testimony can be used as a weapon against Satan instead of a weapon that he uses against me and um, it's amazing now to know that my comfort lies in God and in what God's doing in my life and it doesn't lie in earthly things and what people think of me and all of these sins that I was doing it lies in what the redemption and the grace that I feel through you know knowing God and and giving my life to God and completely surrendering to God. And that feeling and that peace is just absolutely undeniable. So as you can see from Tiffany's story, it's undeniable when you encounter the love of God. When you find your yourself and his salvation and you don't you don't seek, you don't need to try to figure out your value or your valuation from what the world would say, you find it in him. And so as Hosea went searching for his wife, so God went searching for Tiffany, and so he goes searching for you. And tonight, Jesus is here in this room saying, this is the invitation that I would give to you. I'm here. 
I'm so for you. I so want you. I so desire you. It doesn't matter what you've done or how dark it is or where I'm going to find you, but just let me find you. Because you don't need to have yourself in anything else. You're not going to find yourself in the things of this world. You're not going to find yourself in that relationship. You're not going to find yourself in that guy. You're not going to find yourself in that girl. You're not going to find yourself in this job. You're going to find yourself in me, and I'm going to offer that to you. And guess what? It's free. There's nothing you can do to earn it. <laughs> I just love you. And see, it's that free gift. Why would you, why would you ever turn that down? Why? Gomer had an offer to be saved from these shackles, from these chains, from this death, this prostitution. A free offer to her. And see, it's not that it was free to her, but it wasn't free because Hosea had to pay a price. And it's free to you, but it's only because Jesus paid the price. And so tonight, a lot of you come in here thinking... You got it together. You got it made. You know what you're doing. A lot of you coming here tonight knowing the love of the Lord and living inside of that. But a lot of you coming here tonight having no idea. And my prayer is that tonight has been eye-opening to you. That you see the story of Hosea. And as a, a result of Hosea's love for Gomer, what you see is God's love for you. Because it's a prophetic story of his love for us. You're not going to find yourself in the things of this world. You're not going to find yourself in your sin. And what he wants to do tonight is rescue you from that slavery to your sin. Just like Gomer was rescued from her slavery. He wants to do the same thing to you. And the truth is you can have it right now. You can have it in this place. And so what we want to do is offer up that moment for you to respond to that. Here it is, in your face. You, owe, you after tonight can never say that you never heard the invitation and the offer of God. This is his offer of love to you. And what the Bible says, and this is the most beautiful thing, it's just an example of his grace, of the life you can find in him and, and being restored to him. It says that if you want to experience the redeeming love of God, all you have to do is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That he is the one that can save you. That he is the one that can give you life. See, no one has ever been able to get out of death on their own except for Jesus. You will die one day. The stats are pretty good on that. And when you do, something will occur to you for the rest of eternity because you are not a body. You are a soul. You have a body. And what you choose to do with the offer of God right now determines the eternal destination of your soul, the restoration, the redeeming love of God. Because there's nothing you can do except for just surrender to him, just like Tiffany did. I held up my hands and I said, God, I'm just going to give this to you. I don't know how you can use me. I feel so so awful for the things I've done. I don't know how you see value in me, but the truth is just in the same way that my daughter sees value in a dirty, nasty, bunny blanket. God sees the exact same and even more value in you. You're invaluable to him, and he wants you. So what I'm going to ask us to do is that everyone, out of the respect for everybody in the room, and hopefully for I pray with the Holy Spirit that's prompting in you, I want everyone to just bow your heads. Just bow your just close your eyes. Just bow your heads as we step into this moment. Because the truth is, it's yours for the taking. There's a work that Jesus did 2,000 years ago on the cross where all you have to do is believe in him, believe in who he is, believe in the work that he did, not anything you can do but what he's already done. Because see, what all you have to do is, is believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, which means that you believe that he is the Son of God, that he is who he says he is. He's the Son of God who came to this earth willingly, came to this earth to pay a price, lived a perfect life, the life that you could never live. And then he died the death that you deserve to die so that you can be redeemed and restored to God. And whenever you put your faith in Jesus and you believe in him and you say, I want to make you Lord, I surrender to you, what happens is that whenever, whenever this body fails you and you die, you stand before God and he looks at you and he either sees your pain, your shame, and your guilt, or he looks at you and he sees the love, the joy, and the peace of Jesus. And all you have to do is believe in him. Believe in the truth of who he is. So if you want that tonight, it is as simple 
There's no magic prayer, no magic words, but it's a position of the heart. So what I want to offer to you is if you want that, to say a prayer with me. I'll give you some words, something something like this. They'll put it on the screen. If you want this, you just look up at the screen and you say it in your heart. Don't just hear it in your ears. Let it emanate down to the deepest part of who you are and mean it when you say it. And this is the prayer that you say, asking Jesus for salvation. God, I know I've sinned against you. I've run from you. I'm filthy. I'm lost. And I need rescuing. I believe that your son Jesus lived the life that I couldn't, died the death that I should, and rose to life so that I can have life. Forgive me of my sins and redeem me with your love. You paid the price for me, so I surrender myself to you. Thank you for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. And what I want you to know is that if that's you, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. It, all that matters is that you just said that. The Bible says that all of heaven just erupted in celebration. And so I'm going to do the same thing. That's the best decision you could ever make. There's nothing like the love of the Lord. There's nothing like the love of the Lord. There's nothing like it. That is the greatest decision you will ever make. That decision right there. And here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to understand. This has to do with our belief in God. So whatever comes to mind when you first think of God is the most important thing about you. This guy A.W. Tozer said, and when you, when you think of God and you think of this moment, you think of the salvation that just came to you, what I want you to understand is that that salvation is fixed. Nothing on this earth can ever take that away. No boy, no girl, no, no sin, no shame, nothing can take away the salvation that Jesus bought for you. It's fixed and it's in heaven. And so now you don't have to do this again because you have life. You don't have to keep running back to the grave and saying, all right, save me again. No, he saved you. There it is. And what we want to do is give you an opportunity to respond because I, I believe that, again, there are many of you in the room that are going to find yourself in different positions. Some of you in this room, for the very first time, you just got found. You were lost and you were found. You were like Gomer before Hosea showed up. Well, Hosea just showed up, and guess what? Now you got life. Now you got a future. Now you got an eternity. And what you need to do is you need to tell somebody. <laughs> you don't keep that in. If all you've ever known is darkness, now all of a sudden there's a light, you're going to go share that light with everyone else in the darkness. So go and share it. Go and tell someone. But some of you are in the position of Gomer after Hosea, and you're just running. You're running as fast and as far from God as you can, and you're lost in the slavery of your sin. And what you need to do tonight is to repent and to come home. To say, this is death and darkness, this is where I'm going, and God's over there. So you know what? I'm going to do whatever it takes to drop this and go find him. Maybe it means you need to get out of a relationship tonight. Maybe it means that you need to put the bottle down tonight. Maybe it means you need to quit going to a razor tonight. Maybe it means that you need to start looking at yourself the way God views you instead of the way the world views you and finding your value in him instead of in them. See, every single one of us, have something we came in here with. And the offer of God to all of us is the opportunity to lay that down at the cross and say, Jesus, you already paid for that, so I don't have to deal with it anymore. I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to find myself in you. So what we want to do is offer up the opportunity of the next few minutes for you to respond. We're going to have some of our leaders around the side of the room, kind of up and down those stairs and along the, along the catwalk, as I call it, on this side. And we listen, we're here to pray with you, to pray for you. Because it may be that in this moment, the main thing you need is just someone to pray with you. So if you just accepted Christ tonight, well, first, I'm going to give you a bear hug. Um, you're welcome. But what I want you to do is I want you to go up to one of the leaders and tell them. Tell them so we can pray for you. Tell them so we can pray a blessing over you and try to, try to give you some a sense of excitement and help you out. So go tell them. But if you're in here tonight and you're realizing, listen, I just need prayer. I just need prayer because I'm, <laughs> I'm struggling and I'm lost and I'm running far away from God. Help me get back. We want to pray over you as well. So we're going to go into a moment of, of response. And when I say response, it's not just getting up and being prayed over. It's responding to the Holy Spirit because he's doing something. He's speaking something. Something's happening in this room. And all I want you to do is be obedient and respond to him. Respond to the love that he has, the redeeming love that says you're invaluable regardless of what the world says. You're not worthless. You're priceless. So find yourself in him. So as we go into worship, if you need to fall on your face and pray, do that. If you need to go and find someone to pray over you, do that.
If you want to stand and sing, by all means, please do that. Uh, But what I want for you to do is to encounter the love of God. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're just going to go and just sit with Jesus and just experience his love and encounter that redeeming love, that grace that will forever be there for you, regardless of who you are. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dive in. We're going to get after it. So Jesus, Jesus, I, I thank you. I don't know. I don't know how else to put it other than just my overall adoration and gratitude for the love that you have for us. God, I didn't have to do anything for you to find me. You came and found me. That's the amazing part of this grace. So, Father, my ask is that, is that we would encounter that grace tonight. That if people hadn't had an opportunity to respond to you, or maybe they just heard this prayer that they could have asked in their heart for you to come and, and give them life, and they didn't respond. Well, God, the truth is they're not too far gone. They haven't missed anything. You're still there. So over the next few moments, may they respond to you. And for everyone who already did make that decision, God, my ask is that you would allow them, God, to just have a portion of your grace, a portion of your blessing. May they be overwhelmed with your love in the same way that Hosea came up to Gomer and loved on her and held her tenderly and spoke words of life into her ears and into her heart. God, would you speak the same life into us tonight? I pray for the broken and the hurting person in this room that they would find a sense of healing. I pray for the person that doesn't know how in the world they're going to get out of that darkness. God, you'd show them a way. You'd be the light under their feet. And God, I pray for such a sense of courage in this room, maybe like never before, that we would, we would boldly go before your throne and worship you for who you are. So God, I thank you for your redeeming love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the fact that we can find ourselves in you. So may you be glorified over the next few moments as we worship you, as we declare that we're sons and daughters of you, and that you do whatever it takes to come get us. You already have in Jesus. So may we worship him tonight in Jesus' name.